The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Right, guys, I invite your attention, open your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 27, ooh, 27, chapter 7. We're not that far yet, uh, not as far as I know, Ezekiel chapter 7, continuing our series, our kind of chapter-by-chapter chapter series through the book of Ezekiel through the Easter time, Glory Ravage, Glory Restored. Today's sermon title is called Misplaced Confidence, Misplaced Confidence. One thing you can really have misplaced confidence is Aaron Redenbaugh here, Aaron, you are here. Uh, Aaron Redenbaugh last night brought this to our men's dinner. It's the Popeye spinach. Uh, if there's ever misplaced confidence, try and eat this and look like the guy on the can, right? So uh, that's about as misplaced. Thank you, Aaron. I'll take this home. I'm getting the hint. I'll get more greens in my body. Thank you, Aaron. So um, if you're wondering why there's Popeye spinach up here, that's why. You can blame Aaron in the back. Well, there was a man by the name of Harry Randall Truman, and uh, it, not the President Truman, as we know uh, Harry Truman, but this was a man who lived at the foot of Mount St. Helens. Can you believe it's been almost 40 years? Many of y'all know how far that has been. 1980, Mount St. Helens uh, erupted, and in 1980, the volcanic mountain was showing signs at one time of doing just that, of erupting. And indeed, one uh, expert said there's a 100% chance of eruption. Truman's home was at the south end of Spirit Lake at the foot of the mountain, and he was living in the most likely path of the flow of the lava. Yet, he was facing an almost certain death, and government officials told him to leave. They implored him to leave. They couldn't force him. Friends told him that his failure to move would be tantamount to basically taking his own life. Family members begged him to leave lest he die. Yet, on May 18, 1980, as we know from history, the massive eruption of Mount St. Helens took place. The lava flowed right into the projected path of Truman's home. On May 18, 1980, Harry Randall Truman died in his home by himself. He couldn't let go of his, of his home, even if it meant certain death. He had a misplaced confidence, didn't he? But there are many people who don't mind being challenged to repent of their sin in view of future judgment. Some people are okay if you come to him just like they did to Truman and say, hey, this is going to happen to you. You need to get this right. You need to get out of the way before that you get steamrolled. And, they, and, and there are folks who are like this spiritually. They go to places of worship all the time and hear that they need to deal with sin. They need to deal with the coming judgment. They need to deal with these things. And they don't mind hearing now and then, but like Harry Randall, they're comfortable in their own skin. They're comfortable where they are. And people used to flock, many of you remember these days, back, I, I think Billy Graham was here in 2004, I think that's right, uh, it was in that long drought where the Chiefs didn't win a Super Bowl, so it's like a blur now, you know. But people used to flock, as many of you remember, to these crusades that Billy Graham gave, and they heard of their need to repent. But what if you, one of those people went to a church or a service or a Billy Graham crusade and heard something like this, quote, it's too late for you to repent. Your opportunity for grace has passed you by. You can't repent anymore. God is fed up with you and is done with you. 
God won't let you repent, and if you try to repent, he won't accept you if you do. In fact, your judgment's on the way. Your fate is sealed, period, exclamation point, uh, whatever, 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 end quote, that's it. What if a church said that? How many visitors do you think they'd have on any given Sunday? Now, how many members? That's right. How many members would they have left? But guys, I'm here to tell you, this is exactly the message that Ezekiel was told to give to his people. The message would not be popular, but is exactly the message that he was to give. Because those people, just like Harry Randall and many people today, heard the coming judgment. They heard about the message. They heard it over and over and over. And finally, God said, you're past the point of no return. You cannot be saved. It reminds us of Revelation chapter 3, verse 16, as Amiel put that up. It's written to the church, one of the churches, seven churches in the book of Revelation. But Jesus says, because you were neither luke, because you were lukewarm or neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Jesus, even carrying the theme through Ezekiel, is that some people in that church, in that time of Revelation, thought they were invincible. They thought, God is our God. Jesus is my Savior. Or in Ezekiel's day, Jerusalem is the city of God. God's not going to touch this city. Come on now. It doesn't matter how we live, they said. We have nothing to worry about. And they lived as though God owed them grace, that God owed them a favor. After all, I mean, we've never gotten in trouble. It's kind of like a robber who robs banks enough that he never gets caught. He thinks he can keep going and going and going and going and going and going again. But there was a judgment sent to the people of Israel. The reason God sent this judgment is that their people refused to deal with their sin. And the biblical prophecy was fulfilled and that Jerusalem would eventually fall, and we'll get there in a few weeks. But what all the people today and then need to realize is there is a point where God says, I'm done there's no point you can come to no grace. That's a scary line, isn't it? How do we know when we get to that point? Can God really judge a person to a point where he won't give them any more redeeming grace if they are so deep in their sin? And why would God judge his own people? I mean, come on, God. These are your folks. It's like going to your family at Christmas and telling them how bad they are. I mean, come on. Who does that? And where do I fall in this? Well, friends, the big idea today is simply this. The big idea is just a summary of the sermon, the thesis from the text, the, the clear meaning of the passage from the text. But many people will say today, have you ever heard this before? Only God can judge me. Or another way, only God knows my heart. But they live like he won't. But know this, God cannot be mocked. He sees and he knows, and he will not be silent forever. One thing throughout Scripture is certain. God's wrath is slow and certain. It was 430 years before God laid the hammer down on Jerusalem in Ezekiel's day. But the point is this. We should never presume that there's no judgment and never uh, presume that God is not going to fulfill his promises. When God exposes our sin, it's not an act of judgment. It's an act of rescue. He shows us our sin to give us mercy. He shows us how far off we are that we might live again if we'll turn to him. But if we don't like how God is running things, he might let us take over. And you know what that's called when God lets us take over? It's called judgment because he's allowing us to do the very things we want because he says, look, I'm done. You got it. You have it. Run with it. So today, as we continue through this book of Ezekiel, which wins all sorts of awards for being the most positive, pleasant, uh, uh, positive and encouraging message you've ever heard. I think that's a radio station. Two realities of misplaced confidence today. These folks 
need to remember, as we need to remember, that God will judge his own people. We'll see that in verses 1 to 20. And God will jolt his own people. Jolt meaning like when you get on the timber wolf at Worlds of Fun, those of you who know what that is, it's like your whole body just jolts like this. God is going to jolt his people, and he's going to get their attention once again. If you're able to stand this morning, we're going to try to get through all these verses together, 27 verses. Take us a couple minutes. If you, if you are here and you need to sit down because standing for prolonged periods is hard, we love you. It's okay if you need to do so. But for those of us who are able, if you join me in standing in honor of God's word this morning, misplaced confidence. Hear this as we read the word of the Lord, God's words here. Ezekiel is told in verse 1, the word of the Lord came to me, and you, son of man, thus says the Lord God to the land of Israel, an end. The end has come upon the four corners of the land. Now the end is upon you, and I will send my anger upon you, and I will punish you for all your abominations. Verse 4, and my eye will not spare you, nor will I have pity, but I will punish you for your ways, while your abominations are in your midst. Then you'll know that I am the Lord your God. Verse 5, Thus says the Lord God, disaster after disaster, behold, it comes. An end has come. The end has come. It has awakened against you. Behold, it comes. Your doom has come to you, O inhabitant of the land. The time has come. The day is near, the day of tumult, not a day of joyful shouting on the mountains. Now I will soon, verse 8, pour out my wrath upon you and spend my anger against you and judge you according to your ways. And I will punish you for all your abominations. And my eye will not spare, nor will I have pity. I will punish you according to your ways, while your abominations are in your midst. Then you will know that I am the Lord who strikes. Verse 10. Behold the day, behold it comes. Your doom has come. The rod has blossomed. The pride has budded. Violence has grown up into a rod of wickedness. None of them shall remain, nor their abundance or wealth. Neither shall there be preeminence among them. Verse 12. The time has come, the day has arrived. Let not the buyer rejoice or the seller mourn, for wrath is upon their multitude. For the seller shall not return to what he has sold while they live. For the vision concerns all their multitude. It shall not turn back. Because of his iniquity, none can maintain his life. Verse 14. They have blown the trumpet and made everything ready, but none goes to battle. For my wrath is still God speaking, guys. My wrath is upon all their multitude. The sword is without, pestilence and famine are within. He who is in the field dies by the sword, and him who is in the city, famine and pestilence devour. Verse 16. And if any survivors escape, they will be on the mountains like the doves of the valley, and all them moaning, each over his own iniquity. All hands are feeble, and all knees turn to water. They put on sackcloth, and the horrors cover them. Shame is on their faces. Baldness is on their heads. Verse 19. And they cast their silver into their heads. Uh, to the streets, excuse me, and their gold is like an unclean thing. Their silver and gold are not able to deliver them in the day of wrath of the Lord. They can't satisfy their hunger or fill their stomachs, for it was the stumbling block of their iniquity. Verse 20, his beautiful ornament they used for pride, they all made into an abominable image and their detestable things. Therefore, I'll make an unclean thing of it. And I will give it to them in the hands of foreigners and pray, and the wicked for the earth of spoil, and they shall profane it. And I, Lord speaking, turn my face from them, and they shall profane my treasured house, place. Robbers shall err and profane it. We're almost there. Verse 23. Forge a chain, for the land is full of bloody crimes, and the city is full of violence. I will bring the worst of the nations to take possession of their houses, and I will put an end to the pride of the strong, and their holy places shall be profaned. When anguish comes, they will seek peace, but there shall be none. Verse 26. 
Disaster comes upon disaster. Rumor follows rumor. They seek a vision from the prophet while the land perishes from the priest and the council from the elders. Verse 27. The king mourns. The prince is wrapped in despair. The hands of the people in the land are paralyzed by fear. According to their way, I will do to them. And according to their judgments, I will judge them. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God. This is K-Love, positive and encouraging radio <laughs> for you today. This is the word of the Lord. This flies in the face of what many of us know as the God that we worship. How do we have this God? And how do we have him as such? What does it mean to have a point of no return? We're going to look at their misplaced confidence. We'll look at our own lies. We'll look at this and apply it. May God be glorified. We want you out of this book of Ezekiel not to see God as a doom and gloom God. We know mercy came in Jesus Christ. But this is the lot of those who turn away and want to play church, want to play around with faith, but want to have nothing to do with the actual God of church and the God of faith. Let's go before our Lord. Father, as we come before you, we thank you so much for this word. This is a hard word, Lord. It's a burdensome word. It's, it's a word that just, um, even on the sunniest day, just kind of gives you a dour face. But Lord, this is the result of sin. This is the result of disobedience and unfaithfulness. But for those of us who are in Jesus Christ, we praise you all the more because nothing that is written here will befall us. It has befallen once and for all, as our brother said, on our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Yet, Lord, we need to be reminded of what is to come, especially for those who are outside the faith. As we do this, may we do this as ones who've been redeemed, remembering where we came from and thanking you of where you are taking us. For he who began a good work in us will not let it go by the way, Philippians says, but will complete it at the day of redemption. Thank you for your faithfulness, Lord, even in our unfaithfulness. We pray for these things and more in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Maybe may be seated, guys. Thank you so much. If I get hungry, I'm going to eat the spinach. I'm just letting you know that. So uh, Aaron always has a way to keep me on, on guard. Well, I just want to remind you, before we get to our first major point, where we've come from. At this time, Ezekiel is in the land of Babylon. Ezekiel is far away. He's like, in a sense, he's almost like Kansas City is from St. Louis. He's about four hours away, maybe more than that, by car in today's world. But he's in Babylon. He was taken away. But outside the city of Jerusalem, the armies of Babylon are taking charge of Jerusalem, God's holy city. I know some of you have been there in this room today, and whether you're Muslim or Christian or whatever you are, there's just something about Jerusalem uh, because it's God's city. And so he has surrounded the city, and we've looked in recent weeks that God has promised that a third would die by the sword, a third would die by the famine, and a third of that city would be drugged off again. And that's where we find ourselves. These are things that he's seeing that are not yet fulfilled. In fact, the exact date of these prophecies are probably around 590-592 B.C. We know from history that Jerusalem fell in about 586-587. So roughly speaking, what Ezekiel is getting here is about three to five years in advance warning. God, again, being merciful to his people to give him all these things. But I want to remind you as well that this is not God going off the handle. This isn't God just getting mad. Like there was a video I saw on, C uh, well, on a website uh, yesterday about an Uber driver who got, uh, you know what Uber is? It's the modern-day taxi service, you know that, uh, for the rest of us, I guess. And, and, and this Uber driver got rammed in the back, 
and and the car that rammed him while they were driving sped around him. He didn't stop. You know, like you're supposed to stop, exchange insurance, and all that thing. Well, the Uber driver kept driving, but the man in the original car that's driving the passengers just started going ballistic, and he was running red lights. Anyone see this video at all? He was running red lights and all sorts of things. They got him at the very end to pull over, and this is all on Facebook, by the way. The, the lady in the back, who was the passenger, took all this pleading with him to stop. But the Uber driver eventually did not catch the guy that hit him, but the police caught up with him. He was charged with felony kidnapping and felony uh, this and felony this and felony this. But all this to say is that so many people today and so many things happen, we fly off the handle and get angry. That is not what's happening here with God. This is calculated. This is planned. This has already been prophesied. This was going to happen. God is doing what he said he was going to do. God is not like the Uber driver on a random website. Hope that makes sense. I hope that if you get anything out of today, maybe that's what you get out of today, right? But one thing is this. God will judge his own people. And we're going to walk through these. I don't know how else to do this. I, I debated this in my mind. I'm just going to list these, and I'll go through these. Amy will put them up one by one as we go through them. I'm just going to walk these through verses with you. God has said there will be no more. And I'm going to give you about 27 things God says will not happen anymore. And I want to start with the first one. God says in verse 4 that there will be no more pity. Did you notice that? What is pity? Pity in a very, and I use, if you are visiting, I use a lot of sports references. If you're not a sports fan, I apologize. But pity is what we have on the Kansas City Royals right now because we know how pitiful the season is probably going to go. Sorry, Royals fans, we know. Have faith, that's right. That's right, have faith. Well, that's a silly illustration. But when we don't have pity, you have pity on someone, don't you, when you see them in a situation where you think that they could do better or they're in a lot of life that you hope things would go better. But verse 4 says, God says to them, and my eye will not spare you, nor will I have pity. God gets to the point with his people where he says, I don't feel sorry for you anymore. I don't care. You have crossed the line. For some of you, you're just going to focus on that and say, but God's a God of love. Yes, he is. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have what? Eternal life, everlasting life. He loves us. But it's a sober and scary thought that someone could get to a point where there is no pity. Look at the second part of verse 4. Not only is there no pity, but he also says here's, there's no saving. Did you notice that? But I will punish you for your ways. I will punish you. There's no more lifeline. You remember that show Multimillionaire? Who wants to be a millionaire? You had a lifeline here, and you could call a friend and get an answer. There's a point where those things run out spiritually. And he says, look, guys, when I judge you, there's no more rope coming your way. You're out in the sea of despair, and there's no lifeguard. There's no helicopter coming to save you. It's it. The end of verse 4, he says there's no more excuses. He tells them, not only will you not be saved, I will not have pity. But he says at the end of verse 4, he says, but I will punish you for your ways while your abominations are in your midst. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. When God's people are being judged, they will know it. There's no more excuse. They know that they've refused to deal with their sin. And it's important because what's revealed here is that judgment is perfectly just and right. 
and, and I'm using secular examples, and I always want you to know secular examples always fall short. But it's kind of like when you go to the doctor and they ask you, how's your health been this last year? And you say, great, I've been eating kale salad and spinach, and man, I'm the best shape I've ever been. Then they inject you with some dye or whatever they do, and they find out the real truth about how you're doing. Or when you go to the dentist, yeah, you've been flossing every day, haven't you? Oh, yeah, I floss every day, three times a day after every meal and all that stuff. And then they start getting between the gums. And, yeah, you just started flossing in the parking lot because your gums are bleeding, aren't they? You know, come on. Look, God told them there's no more excuse. You have been warned. I can see through you like you can't believe. I see all things. I know all things. There is no excuse. I'm judging you. There's also no aid. God says in verse 5 that he will bring disaster after disaster. He says, behold, it comes. There's no more aid. Sometimes in Israel's history, you know that they, they reached out to Egypt and all these other nations. They'd pay mercenaries to come fight for them. But God says, there's no more of that. You don't have any money. You don't have any resources. It's all being sucked up. There is no more aid for you. And what's the purpose? The purpose is, is that they would know that he is Lord. He is king. And he is God. There's also verse 6. There's no more. There is no end. Did you notice that? Look at verse 6. An end has come, and the end has come, and it's awakened against you. Behold, it comes. So the end has come. You're going to be judged. But the end will not come because it's going to be relentless. It's going to keep on pushing you. It's going to keep on judging you. It's going to keep on going that way. And eventually, there is one final judgment that is coming against his people, and it's the judgment of judgments. We know it as the white throne judgment, and that is coming in the book of Revelation later on. And it gets worse. There is no end. Notice seventhly, sixthly, I believe, there are no more blessings. God, look at verse 7. He says to them, your doom has come, O inhabitants in the land. The time has come. The day is near. And in Ezekiel's mind, the judgment had come. But now there's no joyous light. He tells them. He says, there's no blessing. You won't even be able to joyfully shout anymore. You won't be able to sing songs of praise. My judgment is coming. The blessings are gone. You know, I don't know much about our nation, but I wonder sometimes if we have passed that point of no return in our nation. The things we allow, the things we do, the things our culture does. Yet God says, this is a final judgment, a final sentence. Verse 8, he says, I have no more patience. And Amy will put that up as well. Verse 8, he says, Now I will soon pour out my wrath on you and spend my anger against you and judge you according to your ways. I will punish you for all of your sins. What prompted God to do this? It wasn't because he was flying off the handle. It was their sin that brought them to this point. No more patience. Christian, aren't you glad that God was patient with you in Jesus Christ? That when you were wayward, God looked at you and gave you patience after patience after patience after patience. Aren't you grateful for that? And he was. He tells him in verse 9 that there will be no more mercy, no more mercy. And, and I will not spare, nor will I have pity. He said that twice now. I will punish you according to your ways. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. You will know that I am the Lord your God who strikes. Did you notice that at the end of verse 9? If you're an underliner, that's an underlining verse. This is the first time in Scripture that this verse is used with that phrase. Sometimes we know God is the God of blessing, God of all these things, Jehovah Jireh. But here he's called, at the end of verse 9, the God who strikes. Literally, I am the Lord who strikes and smites. And when God's anger reaches a point he no longer has pity on his people, he will strike out and launch. Guys, this is sobering, isn't it? 
I mean, just time out for a second. How does this make you feel? I mean, this text is not about us. We don't want to lay our feelings on the Bible. The Bible should inform us of those things. But seriously, if you're a human and you're breathing, this is just overwhelming. Am I the only one that feels that way? I mean, I'm looking at this list, preparing this, thinking, we have a lot of situations in this church. We have a lot of personal things in your life and mine that could be talked about in a lot of different ways. So why are we going through this? Because if you're a Christian, I want to just remind you very quickly, we win in the end. Isn't that a good word? We win because God has won. And this stuff that's going to befall humanity will not fall upon us because he has won the battle. Look at verse 10. There's also no more ego. There's no more, look at us, look at us, look at us. He says in verse 10, behold the day, behold it comes, your doom has come, the rod has blossomed, and the pride has budded. He says to them, look, your pride has gotten so big, you are so full of yourself, you're so, woo, look at me. You know, uh, it's NBA weekend, and the NBA players are known for doing this with their jerseys. Woo, look at me go. You know, the Olympics are coming up. Guys train for like 20 years to run one 10-second race, and they're going to cheer and, you know, all that stuff. The ego is gone. It's out the window. God is going to level them as he should. Do you know what the first sin was all about? Why did Adam and Eve fall? Do you know? Primarily pride, wasn't it? God, how dare you tell me not to eat that fruit on that tree over there? I can do whatever in tarnation I want to do. And that worked out really well, didn't it? He says in verse 11, there's no escape. Violence has grown into a rod of weakness. None of them shall remain, nor their abundance, nor their wealth. Neither shall there be preeminence among them. One commentator said, if any believer hardens himself in sin, he won't escape the judgment of God. It will hit, and it will hit hard. There is no escape. Verse 11, or excuse me, verses 12 and 13, there's no more assistance. There's no more assistance. He says, the time has come, the day has arrived. Let not the buyer rejoice or the seller mourn, for wrath is upon the multitude. Doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. Doesn't matter if you're smart or, or um, you're like Forrest Gump and you just don't know much. What matters is, is if you're on the right side of this God. And God says, and I won't read all these verses, but verses 14 through 19, he says that there is no military defense. There is no stopping it. There's no stopping it. Darren, why would you bring this message to us from Ezekiel? We've heard the same message almost for three weeks now. I mean, we get the point. God's judging them. This happened. What does this have to do with us? Great question. This has to do with us because for many of you, this is the hardest part of your faith. I shared with my Sunday school class that I uh, shared with my wife this morning, a, a running friend of mine, um, you know, we've been talking about faith for a while, and, and he basically came out and said, you know, I, I go to a certain church, and we believe Jesus. That's what we believe. But you know what? I just can't believe that God would ever throw the book at Muslims, Buddhists, Hindus, fill in the isms, Mormon, Jehovah's Witness, you know, anything else outside of the fray. I, I, God's just so merciful more than that. If there's anything these first 20 verses text does, it smashes that right in the teeth, doesn't it? We have an exclusive faith. We have the monopoly on eternity. We have the corner on the market about what it means and how we get to heaven. Do you agree with that? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh or comes to the Father except through me. 
he said, you build on this rock or you don't, and you, you get smashed like the water's coming against the sand. If Jesus is not the only way, then why did Jesus come to die? If Jesus is not the only way, then why did the apostles give their lives for a lie? Why are you here if Jesus didn't say what he said and meant what he meant? We have an exclusive faith, and this is the God that we serve. If you do not name the name of Jesus, you this is your lot. Well, Darren, what about those who've never heard the gospel? I believe our God is immensely sovereign. I hope you do as well. He is bigger than I am. His ways are higher than my ways. People don't have a back way into heaven. It is through Jesus and only through Jesus Christ. It is exclusive, singularly through Jesus, but it's inclusive. Let everybody come. Yes, even let 49ers fans come into heaven. Amen? Let everyone who shall name the name of Christ come in. Friends, what do you do with those people out in the, in the Timbuktu area where no one has ever heard the gospel? We trust that God is sovereign and he will work his ways to bring people to Christ only through Christ. It's not through the Muslim faith. It's not through Hinduism. It is through Christ. And for all those who don't, every single one of these descriptive words falls upon their head. Let's not widen it where Jesus never widened it. But I want to tell you that's going to get you in trouble. Because we live in an age of tolerance. If I don't like your opinion, then I'm just going to say I don't like your opinion and you're wrong. Oh, but wait, we can't tell anyone they're wrong, but you just told me I'm wrong. How does that work, by the way? Everybody has an opinion, but no one wants to be wrong. I asked my friend, because we're both runners, I said, if we both run the race and I win first and you win second, who won the race? Well, you won the race. So somebody has to win. Yeah. So why can't someone win in matters of eternity? Why do we all have to get a medal Hold hands and sing kumbaya. Church, it is going to cost us to stand on this message because it is not something the world wants to hear. And guess what? In that day, Israel didn't want to hear it either. But God said, go anyway and share the message. God will judge his own people. Secondly, God will not only judge his own people, God is going to jolt his people, Jolt, J-O-L-T. I think they had a drink called a Jolt a few years ago. I think it was an energy drink. If you're into those, I see some head nods from the younger men. I, I trust that's true. But the Jolt drink, this is what God's going to bring. Look at verse 21. There will be no, and we're going to continue this on. We have 12, uh, we have about 10 more of these, I think, somewhere in there if my math is right. God is going to Jolt his people, and he's going to tell them why. Look at verse 21. He says to them, and I will give them, give who? I will give it, especially in the hands of the foreigners for prey. Give what over to foreigners? To give the temple over to foreigners, a place where they worshiped. God says he's going to take action. And the first action he's going to do is, and Amy will put this up, there is no holding back. God will authorize wicked foreigners to plunder and profane his temple. Look, we do not worship in the Jewish temple anymore. Even if they were to rebuild it, you can get all the prophecy of that. We can agree to disagree on some finer details of that. But the reality is we don't worship in the temple anymore. We can worship in a feedlot. We can worship at Quick Trip. We can worship in someone's house. We can worship at Tower View Baptist Church. What matters is, is how we organize ourselves as a church. We preach the word. We bring the ordinances of baptism, the Lord's Supper. We have church discipline, and that's the foundation scripturally of what a church is. But in this day, the temple was it. It was the place, and that's where they worshiped. And God said, look, you guys have turned it into a den of thieves and robbers. 
and therefore no more holding back. There's a church off the Paseo. Many of you, uh, Dave, this isn't too far from where you went to law school, UMKC and uh, Rockhurst area. It's a former Presbyterian church. You know what it turned into now? It's now the Hare Krishna uh, Ravidic Temple. They have great vegan dishes, by the way. Been there uh, to eat with them over the years. But they turned a Presbyterian church into basically a glorified Satan-worshipping demagogue. And yes, I use those words intentionally. Because when you walk in, do you know what's right there in front of you? Right there in front of you is a, is a statue about 30 feet tall that used to go up to the height of that church. That's a, a, a thing that they literally will bow down and worship in front of you. And God says, look, guys, you have turned my place into a wicked place. Therefore, I'm going to let the wicked come in and get that. I am grateful for the promise that Jesus told us in Matthew 16, 18. The gates of hell will never prevail against the church. Do you believe that? Even if the keys get turned over to the wrong group of people, the universal church, that's not the building. This building is not our church. You are the church. You are it. We're grateful for these four walls. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter where we meet. What matters is we do not let ourselves prostrate before anyone else except the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And that's where they got off. Second thing is there's no more family grace. He says in verse 22, look at your scripture, I will turn my face from them. I don't care if you're my people. I'm turning away from you. Away. I don't care who your daddy is. I don't care if your mama was the most faithful woman. I'm turning my face away from you. I don't favor you any longer. Verse 22, the second half, he says, And they will, shall profane, who's they? The Babylonians shall profane my treasured place. Robbers shall enter it. God says there is no more sacredness. The walls have been torn down. The religious veil is gone. They have gotten to the point where nothing is off limits anymore. Look at verse 23. God's going to cause violent crimes to come against his holy place. He says, Forge a chain. For the land is full of bloody crimes and the city is full of violence. In other words, you can trace everywhere I go, you can trace that from now on there's going to be no more order because it's going to be anarchy and mass chaos. That's what's coming down. Verse 24, I'm going to go through these quickly. That there is no more respect. He says, I will bring the worst of the nations to take possession of their houses. The worst of the nations. God will allow proud, arrogant, Christ, God-rejecting people to dominate his people, to cleanse them out. Verse 25, there will be no more peace. No more peace. When anguish comes, they will seek peace, but there shall be none. Can I take an aside for a second? If you're a Christian, you should believe, because the Bible clearly teaches that we believe in a literal, conscious, eternal H-E double hockey sticks. And when you go before that God and you spend eternity away, well, you spend eternity under his presence of judgment in hell, there is no more peace. There's no more second chance. There's no more mulligan or continue button or, or, or you know, get a help, phone a friend. It's there. And so he says, there's no more peace for my people. Verse 26, he actually says, there's no more timeouts. You know, you know, don't you do that sometimes? Don't you wish life you could do that? There are some movies where like they go like this, timeout, and everyone freezes. Happened in Saved by the Bell, My Generation, all I'm sure movies before, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, all that stuff. 
But Jesus, God says, there's no time out. Verse 26, look at it. Disaster comes upon disaster and rumor follows rumor. Can you imagine what these people are facing? Well, I heard that the, the army's coming through this wall. I heard, I heard that they're going to take us away. I heard there's no more food. He's making their life miserable because they refuse to follow him. The end of verse 26, it says, They will seek a vision from the prophet while the Lord perishes from the priests and counsel from the elders. Look, there will be no more truth. God will remove anyone who can communicate God's truth. You want judgment on a land, take away faithful preaching. You want judgment on a church, take away Bible teaching. You want judgment on a church, take away the ability to hear the word of God. Isn't this what communism tried to do? We tried to make everyone equal on the same playing field and say that there wasn't any God and all those things through the years. And then when the word of God got in there, you see what happens. It happens in China. The word of God spreads more. You try and squash it out like, what is that game? I asked this last week. Uh, whack-a-mole. You remember that at Chuck E. Cheese? Whack-a-mole. You whack one over there, and the other one pops right up over there. Whack it over there, and it pops up over there. But God says, look, your whack-a-mole game, I've put a, 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 a slab on there. It's been bolted shut, and there's no more truth popping up anywhere. You can't break through. The greatest judgment on God's people is not that he would slay them by the sword. The greatest judgment on God's people is that he would take away the word of God from them. Cherish the word of God. And they will cry out to the religious people, talk to God for us, talk to God for us, talk to God for us. And there's nothing they can do because it is so bad. Finally, not only the truth, but there is no relief, no relief. God will cause even the political leaders to mourn and be horrified. Verse 27, look at your text. The king mourns. The prince is wrapped in despair. The hands of the people are paralyzed by fear. Guys, let me just remind you, we are going to be preaching in October through what a biblical election should be, not encouraging you to vote for one party or the other, but how's a Christian to handle him or herself uh, in, in this political environment. And it's already getting toxic uh, if you haven't turned on your TV or your internet in a week, good for you because there are political ads running right and left. But I want you to know we never find relief in political leaders, do we? doesn't matter what party comes. It doesn't matter. We trust not in, in princes. We trust in the name of the Lord our God, and that's who we have. That's not political anarchism. That's just simply the acknowledgement, guys. It doesn't matter who's in office. That person is never going to make things right for us. There may be some breaks, but at the end of the day, it's God who provides the best. So where does this leave us? Let me give you four quick lessons, faith lessons here. And Amy, you can put the first two up. If you're here, if you know someone, if you're watching on Facebook, I just want to remind you that you need to take Jesus as Savior before he becomes your judge. The God who loves us so much has promised us he's the one who will judge the world in righteousness. Pastor Nelson read that for us from Acts 17. He has set a day. It's coming. Are you ready for that day? Christian, are you ready for that day? Are you ready for your Savior to return and how exciting that will be? But are you ready to stand before him and give account, not for your salvation, but how you've used the time, resources, and opportunities he's given you? Have you considered how your life now will be judged later? Please hear me clear. If you're a Christian, you are secure in Christ. Amen? What a joy that is. You are secure in Jesus Christ. No one can rip you out of the Father's hand. But are you living a life that's pleasing to Him now? 
so that when you stand on judgment day, you don't hear anything but well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. I gave you a little, you invested a lot, and you didn't always see the results, but I trust me, you did my work. Even if that's changing diapers in the nursery to the glory of God, praise the Lord. Someone's got to wipe those bottoms, right? May you do it for the glory of God. Wherever God's called you, be faithful to it. But if you're not a Christian, can I encourage you after service, uh, pastors will be up here. We'd love to talk with you about what it means to know Jesus. If you're playing church, if you've been in this church for a long time, you really don't know Jesus, but you want us to think you know Jesus, it's time to come to Jesus. He's the only one. Second thing I want you to see is this, is because God is the infallible judge, we don't have to be. We are okay to let our grudges go and revenge go and die as well. Churches die because people like to hold grudges. Well, you know what? That pastor 20 years ago, he didn't let me do this, and I'm not coming to church because he won't let me do this now today. Said no one ever, right? You better believe it. Well, Pastor Darren said this, and you know what, guys? I am a sinner as much as a sinner is a sinner, and I'm going to fail you more than you know. Thank you for your grace. Together, we are the church of God. Stop gossip. Stop the grudges. Get together. Figure it out. Forgive as Christ has forgiven you. Don't be like those people. You want to kill Tower View Baptist Church, you start a rumor. Well, Darren must be an alien from another land. Probably am, but you know what? I'm here, so get, get over it. <laughs> Let your grudges die. And I'm serious about that. I don't just say this. Look, if you have a problem with me or I have a problem with you, let's meet at the table together. I'm not aware of anything, but maybe there's something I've done that's offended you. Please come talk to me. You know what? We were, and I'm just going to say this, we, we were gifted by a very gracious donor anonymously $20,000 to rehab our nursery. We're going to release more details about that in the coming weeks. But a lot of us are going to get to a point where we're not on the design team and we're going to do this. Well, it, well, if they would just make the color carpet like this, then, then the people would start coming. Let's not go there. Let's let, let's love each other. Even if I don't get my pink fuchsia and you don't get your teal, all right? We have teal, I know. We kind of do <laughs> from 1983. So, But I want to remind you. God sees all. He knows all. He is judged. Let him be judged. We may have disagreements. Can we all agree on Jesus Christ? I don't just say that because that's what the pastors say. Truly, if you want to see this church die, then go have a grudge. If you want to see this church die, then go gossip. If you want to see this church die, then go be the judge of everybody else. Leave that to God. He can sort that out just fine. Last two things. Amy, you can just put them up. Not only are those things true, but if, if people want a religion that does not have a judge and judgment, we should not ask them to call it Christianity. God is going to judge the world. Christian, you embrace that truth. It's for your good. Someday when you are in heaven, will you remember those people who are not Christians? You will not. In fact, and I've said this before, the book of Revelation makes the argument that you will stand up and applaud God for putting away those who rejected him. Well, that's just me. No, it's not. It's being consistent because you will see as God sees in those days, and you will want him to only be the one around. We talk so much about not wanting to see sin in heaven, but the only way sin's not in heaven is God has to be judge, and he is. 
Lastly, the judgment of God against the nation will not be turned by a more conservative leader, leader, but by the repentance of his people. Darren, you're getting political. No, I'm not. Verse 27 said that the, the political leaders were confounded because they couldn't handle God. As we look towards November, whatever the first Tuesday is in November this year, may we remember it is not who's in the White House that is going to save Christianity in America. It is those who are in God's house, wherever we are, who walk humbly, who live faithfully, who share boldly the message of Christ that will turn a nation. That's it. Well, Darren, you're just saying not to know. you got to show up in October, guys. We're going to talk about this stuff. you got eight months, right? So hang in there. But just remember this. We are to love boldly and bigly, but we are also to remember that we have a message. It is inconsistent with the world. It's consistent with God. Stand firm, church. Hold strong. We will be okay because God's got our back. Let's pray together as we close. Father, as we come before you today.